Okay, friends, is everyone already following at Junk Gypsy and at The Wander Inn on Instagram? If not, scoot on over. I'll wait. I have spent the last decade admiring the talent of Junk Gypsy. Clothes, boots, jewelry, antiques. They're a little hard to pin down, a little airless, a little mapless, throwbacks, visionaries, but definitely creative misfits. And I thought that I loved everything there was to love about Junk Gypsy, but then I went and stayed at their farmhouse, and now I am completely speechless. Almost. I wasn't completely sure when I was there I was in heaven, but then they gently tapped on the door in the morning and they brought me warm biscuits. Go, you guys. It would be so perfect for a girl's weekend. Go visit their store in Round Top. Go find their website at gypsyville.com. Follow them on Instagram at Junk Gypsy and at The Wonder Inn. You won't be disappointed. Hello, and welcome to Center State Sister, a podcast where we search our hearts and explore our joy, shake our fists, tell our stories, whatever the day might call for. If you enjoy today's conversation, please consider subscribing. I hope that you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center State Sister. When I lived in Japan, there was this very famous bridge that people would visit and tour and eat lunch by. It was a very picturesque Japanese scene, the cherry blossoms, the ancient architecture, the girlfriends and boyfriends having dates there. And there was this tower that you could hike up to at the top of a very steep hill if you were feeling adventurous. And at night, they would light this tower up, so much so that no matter where you were in the city, you could see this great light. I lived in Japan for three years, and when it was time to come back to the United States, that last night that I was there, I went back to the familiar scene to take it in one last time. And it occurred to me, maybe for the first time, what Jesus might have meant when he talked about the city on the hill in Matthew. A city on the hill when darkness falls around us. A city requires more than just one light, doesn't it? We matter in a story bigger than just our own. We have to shine together, work together, speak love together in order to be a city lit up for the benefit of those who might be in the dark. In that sermon where Jesus references the city on a hill, Jesus is contrasting the way of life that is built on something other than him. And in that sermon, he is exhorting these people to listen. Often you can hear Jesus saying, you have heard it said, but what I say to you is this. And in that way, he's trying to show us a new way. We talk about being a city on a hill, being a city within our city, and wanting to be a faithful witness to God's character and his glory here in this garden of a town, Bryan College Station, that we love. And one of the things that people should peer in and say is, so that's what their God is like. One of the most visible ways to monitor who he is is through our generosity. And generosity, it's not something that God does and practices, but instead generosity is who God is, and we are made in his image. As Christians, we believe that every human is created in God's image and likeness, and that is worth protecting, that is worth serving, that is worth sacrificing for. Regarding the ills of this world, as Christians, we might grieve and say, thy kingdom come. As Christians, we might come together and cry out to the Lord that we want to bring a little bit of his kingdom here on earth, and he responds, go ahead. He doesn't want to change this world without us. There's a story in scripture where Jesus is in a house, and the house is so packed that nobody can come through the door anymore. And so the people, they they open the roof, 
and they lower a paralytic down through the roof so that Jesus can heal him. Now, the focus of the story is obviously on the healing, on what Jesus did, as it should be. But for a moment, just a moment, can we look at something different? How amazing is it that there is a group of people who are ripping the roof off of a place so that someone in need outside can be let in? And when I think of those brave friends lowering their friend, I'm amazed by their commitment. It would have been perfectly reasonable to look at their buddy and say, sorry, dude, place is packed. I'm sure I'll be back. Maybe next time. But they didn't. And amazingly, it wasn't the paralytics man's faith that impressed Jesus. It was the faith of his friends. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Jesus responded to their generosity and healed their friend. Our generosity, our faith, our cooperation with the Holy Spirit's lead impacts the lives of others. Our generosity can lead others right to Jesus's saving power. My friend Blake Jennings is ripping roofs off of places all over Bryan College Station by gifting cars to people in need through his nonprofit called OnRamp. In this episode, you will hear about poverty and its destruction, the dire need for transportation and the ripple effects of not having it, and the important work of OnRamp to step in and make transformative changes in people's lives. I believe that God has placed us on this earth to work and to earn and to use our gifts and to care for the people that he has entrusted to us and devote ourselves to a radical brand of generosity that changes lives and leaves a legacy and lights up a city. Blake Jennings makes Bryan College Station shine just a little brighter through OnRamp. I can't wait for you to hear all about it. Safe to Save is an app that rewards safe driving. Do you find yourself wanting the peace of mind that comes with knowing where your family is, but not wanting to be that mom that's always asking, where are you? Are you there yet? How long will you be there? With Safe to Save Fam, you can have the comfort of knowing that your people are safe. You can see where they are. You can see how safely they're driving. And you can even receive notifications when they have arrived safely at their destination. Equip your family today with tools and knowledge needed to make sure that everyone arrives safely while receiving sweet rewards for not teching and driving. Restaurants like Jersey Mike's, McDonald's, Schlotzky's, Chick-fil-A, La Madeline, Smoothie King, all of them offering free food that motivate you and your family to not tech and drive. Start with 500 free points by entering the code Allison when downloading. Download Safe to Save today. Safe, number two, save. Yay! Blake, I'm so excited that you said yes and that you were able to come on. Um, I'm I'm surprised that you're, you seem like you're surprised. <laughs> and I <stay> here. <laughs> uh, well, I just feel like the world has been so heavy and yeah. dark and we so desperately need stories of hope and possibility. <laughs> so I really, really appreciate you. I have a blast. I have had a blast following your work. Um, we actually met for the first time handing out milk during the pandemic. Well, actually it's still the pandemic, but handing out milk during quarantine. Um, yeah. but I had been following along, uh, quite a while before that. And I just feel like we live in a world that desperately needs examples like yours. And you have committed your life to using your gifts, to serving your community and doing eternal things. So I really just can't thank you enough um, for being here. I feel like you use every single thing you have, whether it's leading and teaching or inspiring people or serving or evangelizing, whatever it is, whatever gift it is that you're using at the time, um, you really know what it is to 
run with the Lord. And I cannot wait for listeners to hear um, from you and about you and all of the amazing things that you're doing. We're here um, to talk about how God has called you to be the best disciple you can be and the best community member that you can be. And that is through something called On Ramp. And so, like I said, I'm so excited for all of us to hear the details of that. But uh, just from the very beginning, let's just let's just start with who you are and who you love and what you love. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. You can make me blush, Allison, uh, with that <laughs> very kind introduction. So, um, well, my name is Blake Jennings, as, as you mentioned. I grew up not far from here in Tomball, about an hour south. So I've always been a Texas boy, um, other than a brief trip up in the East Coast for a little while doing engineering work, actually, up there. Uh, so my my story is really odd. I've always I thought I would be an engineer, honestly, from about three years old, as young as you could wow. be and have a concept of it. My grandfather and my dad both worked for NASA. Um, my grandfather, when I knew him, he had a farm and we'd walk around it and he had parts off of old rockets, um, intercontinental missiles and stuff like that laying around the farm. So I grew up around that. And then my goodness, we, uh, he and my dad, like we would always like, we were working on tractors or working on cars or building model airplanes and flying around and stuff like that. So that was, uh, so I've always had a real need to build stuff with my hands and to be mm -hmm. out in the garage and working on stuff. Uh, so I did that for the first half of my life, really through about 22, 23 years old. It was all engineering and building stuff. And it was about 25 that I started. Uh, I had been serving in a church up in the D.C. area and volunteering. And more and more I was asked to teach. Uh, I just was a kind of another gift set that I had. And uh, I, I noticed that there was a big need for it and it resonated with my heart as well. So I started to chase that and kind of set down the engineering stuff and the building stuff um, and did uh, ministry and really enjoyed that. Uh, and then I think it's really been in the last five or six years that I've realized um, I, I kind of feel like I'm at a point in my life where I want to find some way to combine those things because one of them's yeah. laid dormant for a long time. Um, but it was a part of who I was as a child and I think it's still part of me now. Yeah. So um, so stuff that I love, I do love teaching. I love um, opportunities to communicate. But I also really love being alone in the garage with a <laughs> socket wrench um, and some part that needs to be fixed. So uh, I was up till 1030 last night fixing one of my cars. So uh, uh -huh. that that will. So those two things. And and ideally, I, I love them in balance. Um, other things that I love. I love my wife. I love my kids. I got twins. They're 11 years old. And I try to get them in the garage as much as I can. Uh, we built a go-kart together and they're out on that oh, a lot, cool. which is fun for me. Um, so yeah, uh, those are things that I love. Awesome. Thank you so much. So, okay. You have founded on ramp. Tell us what made you do that. So in my garage, when I would work on stuff, um, when people found out that at the church, as I was a pastor uh, up at Grace Bible church, that I knew how to fix cars, there were a lot of folks who struggled financially, particularly some of our younger staff members who were maybe new out of college, Right. Um, and they they were driving cars that were often older and needed some work. And so I offered to try to fix their cars if I could. So they bring them over and um, we just kind of had a, you know, one of the sides of the garage. I'd bring in their cars and work on them and fix them if I could. Over time, that developed into a broader uh, opportunity for the community to bring me folks. And particularly we started seeing my wife and I started seeing 
folks come out of our youth impact ministry, uh, which is kind of near and dear to our hearts at Grace Bible Church. And so yes. youth impact is a ministry that particularly focuses on uh, elementary and uh, like youth kids uh, from under-resourced families in our community. And the ministry is focused on the kids, but as often happens in good ministries, it ends up building relationships with the parents. And a lot of the sure. parents were single parents or were coming out of uh, situations of maybe generational poverty or some kind of acute uh, need in their life. And so those youth impact leaders were like, hey, we know a guy who can fix your car when it's broken down if you can't afford it. And so they yeah. started bringing their cars as well. So I would try to fix them. But it tends to happen with older cars. Sometimes you can't fix them and they just need to be done. And so I I'd tell yeah. them, you know, I'd have a conversation with a single mom. Your car is done. Um, maybe can I help you find a new car? And I find out she has no money and she still owes $8,000 on this car that's worthless <sighs> because some sleazeball sold her a horrible vehicle. And that happens every day. That, that happens. I was telling somebody the other day, if you go onto Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist right now, I can guarantee you over half the ads you'll see are scams or are... <sighs> Um, lying to you. At the, at the minimum, they're just leaving out important information. At the worst, there's no car. It's an utter lie. Right. Um, wow. So they're they're all over. So we started seeing those. Um, there's one in particular who ended up being the first on-ramp client. Her name was Marlo and she was scammed and left with a car that was worthless um, and a significant debt on it that she had to pay. It's very hard to get out of car note debts. So uh, Julie and I, uh, my wife, Julie and I, uh, we started strategizing. What do we do? I can't, I fixed, I kept the car running for about a year. Um, I mean, using duct tape when I had to, I mean, it's just anything I could find <laughs> to keep it moving down the road, but it wasn't reliable at all. No AC. It's a single mom of four kids, two were special needs kids. I mean, it's just, it was a really tragic situation. And so we realized this isn't a repair situation. This isn't a duct tape situation. Yes. This is a we need to step up and we need to find a way to replace it and make her whole again, make her right. Um, as if this, you know, really is a theft when, when somebody's scamming like that, as if this theft didn't happen. So, um, we set up on ramp to gift a vehicle to Marlowe was really the, you know, was, was never, we never had in mind what it be, has become. It was yeah. more of a one-off thing. You know, this, yeah. That's what I do most yeah. of the time. So we'll just do these occasionally when we caring have a, for Marlo. Yeah. Yeah. The person God put in front and, of you. you know, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's going to be here and there. Uh, we had the ability through friends and connections to set it up as a 51C3, even from the beginning of like, Hey, even if it's one Marlo a year, let's do it right. Um, so we set that up and that, that was the birth of on-ramp. And then everything that's happened since was just the fact that when we started with Marlo, Within a month, we had raised five times the amount of money we expected, and we had found there were um, more clients that we could count who were in right. similar situations. And so it just exploded from there. Wow. Okay. So you made a really brave decision to make this your full-time work. And I would imagine that came at a cost. I imagine that that was a really big risk for for you and your family. How did you make that decision? Um, it it is a risk. Yes. Uh, it was a risk that we got to a place where we could not take if it mm. makes sense. So mm -hmm. I, so the transition stepping out of my pastoral role, I stepped out in July. So that'd be four months ago now. Um, and, but <laughs> the decision was made a year before that. So that would be June, um, you know, 16, five, 15 months ago, but I've, I've wanted to for probably a few years. And part of it is just, like I said earlier, I mean, you know, I think God may be in a certain way with a, 
mixture of some odd things um, that most people don't come from automotive engineering and then they're a teaching pastor <laughs> and that that blend. So I've, I've just really wanted to chase after this. I feel like it's a unique fit for me. I also, I, I believe very strongly that there are many, many really solid churches in our community. There's great teaching pastors, um, yeah. many of them. That's easier to fill that hole, if, if you will. It's easier to replace me. In other words, I'm not right. very essential there. Um, I can do something, but there's many others who can do it and, and do it very, very well. So I felt less essential there. Whereas with OnRamp, at least from all this research that we've done, there's nobody else doing this. So at least in this area um, and very few in the country. And so there was a sense of, uh, you know, for the last few years, since I, I really want to chase this and I need to chase this because there's not other people chasing this and yeah. it needs to be done. It's uh, and the Lord has raised up people to do the other thing I do. Like he, he's got yes. the people ready. So, so that, that desire was there for a long time, but there is the reality of, I have a wife and kids and I have, yeah. mortgage and I, you know, I have all those things. So that, yeah. that, that led to uh, what I said, we just kind of were exploring that and trying to get a sense of like, what, is this something we should do? This is a big, scary thing. And it's still big and scary um, on a daily basis, but what what actually was the final straw that was like now is the time push go was so may and june of 15 16 months ago that was really the uh the beginning of the pandemic and the, i think that was the moment oh it's kind of hard to remember even though it's not that long ago so much <laughs> has happened blur. in the world yeah it felt like may um so the the lockdown started end of april uh, or end of march is into spring break it felt like may was when everybody realized this isn't a six week deal Right. It, Flattening the like curve a, for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 this is going to go on for a while. And so um, because I was knee deep in the world of charity and, and with OnRamp and the other charities that we work with, um, there was just this dawning moment of like, okay, we, we've got people running out, like getting food to people, getting housing, um, yeah. getting clothes to people, but everybody's doing it in like a, this is four to six weeks way. Like, let's just, you know, we'll throw some water on the fire and it'll be fine. I think there's a sense of me of no, no, this, this is going to be big. It's going to be a long time. It may be generational. There's a huge need for help. And I want to do that. Yeah. Um, but I had a sermon to preach that Sunday. I was like, oh, now is it like, I don't want to preach this sermon. I need to go, like, oh, I need to wow. find a way it to. It felt like get... a holy desperation to, yeah, I was yeah, like, to move. Yeah. And just the idea of like, I, I have to do this. this uh, th there's people who can't put food on the table and this isn't going to go away tomorrow. Like this is, this is yeah. endemic. And the, the coronavirus is not, it's not changing the field. It's just opening our eyes to the need wow. that's out there. And so, yes. so that was the thing. And so, yeah, it was a Saturday. Uh, I was preaching the next day and I, my boss and I are talking and he can tell the frustration and just angst <sighs> in me. And he asked, so are you like, are you wanting to keep doing this? And it just is as a moment. It's like, no, no, I need it's, to go do this yeah, other oh. thing. So I mean, it still took a year or it took a year and a month to, you know, sure. to, I wanted to, wanted to wrap up really well. I didn't, I don't want to leave, of course, in a to way leave responsibly. Really sure. Yeah. Yeah. And help the church in its next phase. But, um, but that was a moment, just the Saturday of feeling like I, I, this is, I need to go do this. So, um, that's wow. what finally brought, I guess, uh, I mean, bravery is less the description, more desperation. I'm just saying, yeah. I, I can't yeah, do I feel thing. that. I I love that. And I feel like a lot of times it's when we're desperate that the Lord can best showcase his work. <laughs> it's like, yeah. 
watch this, you know, watch all these opportunities unfold because the Lord loves faithfulness. So answering that holy tug or that that um, that nudge, that holy nudge that says, do it. I've got this. Oh, I love it so much. Um, so Jesus, while on the cross, uh, said, I thirst. And when I meditate on just those two words alone, when I'm in the, the right space or when I'm in the right frame of mind, it can completely undo me. It can like just absolutely bring me to tears. He had, mm-hmm. it had been a long um just he had lost a lot of blood. He was in excruciating pain, um, all this mental anguish. And in his desperation, he utters this most basic of needs, you know. And I realize I I listen to that and I think of that and I'm meditating on that. And I have this um, really helpful, helpless feeling that there's nothing I can do about that. You know, that moment has passed and there's nothing I can do about that. Um but when I take that to prayer and when I continue that uncomfortable meditation of feeling helpless in that moment, um, every single time it comes to me, you know, um, Lord, when did I see you hungry? When did I see you thirsty? When did I visit you in, um, in jail? When did I clothe you? And the answer is that truly you know, truly, I say to you, what you did to the least of this, you did it of, of his, you did to me. And so, and I realized that, you know, I'm not so helpless after all, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, there are things that we can do right here and now to bring, um, thy kingdom come, you know, to bring mm-hmm. a little bit of heaven here on earth. Um, I would love to know, um, because I know that we don't know, like, you know, just how much transportation is an issue. How, how Mm -hmm. deep does this go? Um, something that seems simple to us. I, I helped out at the Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth house maternity home Mm -hmm. for maybe a three year stretch. And so much of what I did day after day was providing rides to and from daycare to and from work. So, um, tell us a little bit about the, um, just reliable transportation in us, Texas, what have you locally. Um, so it is a desperate need when we go out there and and research the data and look to see how significant is this. Uh, there's, there are fortunately quite a few studies that have been done in about the last 15 to 20 years on the impact of having or not having reliable transportation. And across the board, it ends up being consistently one of the top two or three causes of long-term poverty in the life of a family's right. loss of a vehicle. And there was uh, an, a particular article done back in 2006 on research that identified it was going through what are, what are if you're gonna pull certain levers in a person's life, what are the ones that are gonna make the biggest impact down the road? Yeah. And, tra- and so the fascinating thing and kind of the quote that we pulled out of it, because it just blew us away, is that from their research, they found that in the United States, reliable transportation has a bigger um, impact on a family's long-term economic and employment prospects than having an education. And they're talking like just high school education. So it is, wow. it is more likely to change a family's long-term path economically, whether they remain in poverty or rise out of poverty to get them a reliable vehicle than to help the parents finish a high school education, which that doesn't at all mean don't finish the education. Like education right, is still right. vital, but just to step back and I, I would have never thought about a vehicle being that big of an impact on a family's long-term yeah. prospects that it trumps even education in terms wow. of helping them be employed and be financially stable. 
So the more that we've looked at that, the more we've seen that verified. Um, it it kind of anecdotally, we think about it. And if we step back and we put ourselves in the shoes of somebody who can't afford reliable transportation, it does make sense. Um, and, and I think that it's one of those that like you gather the da data and it's the data is overwhelming, but um, the data doesn't touch you quite as much as asking like case studies, like particular people, like what, what exactly does it mean when we say they don't have a reliable vehicle? And, and why is that such a big deal? And the issue is, um, whether we have ever stopped to realize it or not, every good thing in our lives that we're connected to comes in some way through transportation in our community. That's not true across the world. There's many communities yeah. in the world that are not built around the car, but right. all of America, with the exception of really like New York City and San Francisco, was built around a car as wow. the basic unit of family mobility. And so as a result, anytime a family needs to access education, healthcare, yep. employment, churches and religious services, grocery stores, government services, all of those things come through a vehicle. They, they're, they, and, and so in some places, cities have stepped up and provided trains or buses to be the vehicle, so mass transit. But that, that is not true anywhere in Texas. Even where we have mass transit, it is not at all uh, effective mass transit is more like get okay. middle class people to the airport kind of deal. Yeah, it doesn't right. Come anywhere close to to meeting the need for particularly those who don't have vehicles who are impoverished in our part of the world. In our part of you know southern United States, um, Midwest, uh, the wet, uh, other than the coast, really, um, families cannot access those vital services without a reliable vehicle. So, anyways, getting to specific stories. So we gave a uh, kind of a way to think about this in our county. Um, and really in our whole area, so the Brazos Valley, um, no one in this area who needs a transplant can get on the transplant list unless they can demonstrate that they own a reliable vehicle. Oh. Um, so if you're in dialysis waiting for a kidney, the transplant committee will not accept you to get a kidney until you can verify you have reliable transportation. So that why is that? Well, because with a transplant, you have to get to a transplant grade hospital multiple occasions on very specific dates and times, or you could lose the, the organ. And we don't have one of those hospitals in our county. You have to go to Temple or Houston. So seven of our clients who've given a vehicle to, the vehicle was the contingent piece to get them on the transplant list. So they could get on a kidney My list goodness. by having a vehicle. So you in your family, you have to be able to show, I have a vehicle that I can get. So so to be clear, on on-ramp has served someone with that description that you, you have specifically yes. helped someone. Seven. Wow. Yeah. So the oh. last one was last week, a 23 year old kid who's on dialysis and qualifies for a kidney in Houston and they would not accept him until he had a vehicle. So we gave him a vehicle. And so he's headed down to Houston now to get a kidney. My so that's, goodness. That's one of those things people just don't think of. It. So you have to have a car to get a kidney. Yes. Yeah, That you is do. so in very pro-life of you. <laughs> this is incredible. Uh, well, <laughs> well I, I think it just goes to show that there's there's connection. A vehicle is, is not a convenience. A vehicle is a necessity for right. modern life in right. most of the United States. So mm -hmm. uh, another example, of course, everybody thinks employment. Our second client was a woman who was, I mean, she was rescued out of a horrible situation. She got a job. And the fascinating thing is, I mean, we, we think about people we want to help. We want to help people who are doing what they can with what they have. Well, she walked, I don't recall which, she walked from her home to the hospital, which was like 3.4 miles away. Every, so she walks there, she walks home. 
And the thing is fascinating. It's like, okay, well, you know, I guess I could walk 3.4 miles. Yeah. You got to walk 3.4 miles and then be professional. Like you have to, right. like you're in your, you don't get to show up. So in like, Texas, you up, right. No, in Texas. And so, and so then people are like, well, what about Uber? Can you use Uber? Well, the reality is if, if you don't make more than like 15 or 15 to $20 an hour, Uber is going to use up all your money. If yeah. you're using it as it uses up all the, it's very expensive. It's a wonderful tool for the middle class and above, but it's not feasible for um, people who are just making it to use it daily. So she had no ability for that. And then the related thing with her is she had a young daughter who she was taking to daycare. So she pushed the stroller like 1.5 miles along country roads with no, you know, no uh, sidewalk. She would push the stroller in rain and heat and whatever, 1.5 miles, drop her daughter off, walk the rest of the way to the hospital, then walk the rest of the way, pick her daughter up and take her home. And that, but that's the reality in, in our, in our country, if you don't have a reliable vehicle, that's the life that you live. And right. when you had, when she had to get to the store, it was more miles than that to get to Walmart. So she'd walk, you know, three to four miles to get to Walmart, get her groceries and have to walk back with her child and all her groceries. And so um, all of the access that we take for granted to those things. And, and so it affects health, it affects employment, it affects church for those of us who care deeply about um, our, our religious connection, our religious community. Yeah. Well, religious community, if you want to be with them, you have to drive there or or they're going to come pick you up. It's wonderful when that happens, but usually take advantage of church, youth group, um, uh, all the different things that a church provides. You, you have to be able to somehow get there. We had right. multiple clients who um, they, they, we gave them the vehicle and the vehicle was the first time they ever got to go to one of their children's extracurricular activities. So we had a woman wow. whose son had played football for years, never been to one of his games. Because oh. the school will get the kid there. The school won't get the sure. parents there. Sure. So, you know, so again, it's that just that sense of a vehicle is connected to all of these things that we deeply care about. Parenting, healthcare, employment, church, education, um, nutrition. A lot of a lot of data out there that people are struggling nutritionally because they don't have a vehicle to get out of the food desert that they live in to more healthy right. options. Right. Just everything that we rely on. And so. Anyways, I don't know how long to go on this, but no, um, this is so when you wonderful. Think about the need for a vehicle. A vehicle is what gives a family access to all the other things that a community provides. So, if you want to provide for a struggling family um, free food at a food bank, okay, but they have to get there. If right. you want to provide for them early head start for their kids, great, but you have to get them there. If you want to mm -hmm. provide celebrate recovery to help them if they're dealing with an addiction, great, you got to get there. So all of the things that we want to, to bless a family with a person with, ultimately in our part of the world, they come through a reliable car and you have no access to them without that. Absolutely incredible. I thought I was celebrating before that you're <laughs> doing this. My goodness, the things that I've never considered or thought of. Um, I have zero desire to be negative in any way, but I am curious if you receive any pushback about who, how you choose who gets a car. I feel like um, so often, sometimes in religious circles in particular, there can be some sort of spiritual arrogance where, I, I, I don't know, it's like this certain group of people should not have what I have unless they behave like I behave. Yeah. Um, and of course, 
as I even say that out loud, I'm thinking, well, the only people that Jesus didn't show mercy to were the unmerciful. (laughs) (laughs) But, but how do you choose clients and, and have you had any opinions about who you give cars to? Well, we, we early on developed a little bit of a different model that, that helps with that. Doesn't, doesn't completely fix it, but it helps. And that's all of our clients come to us through advocacy. So we don't have a front door in the sense that anybody can, I mean, anybody can ask me for a car, but the answer is always what we work through advocates. So advocates are leaders or volunteers in charity or charities or healthcare providers, churches or ministries, uh, schools, government organizations who have some sort of vested relationship with the applicant. Maybe they are a mentor or they're um, a teacher or a healthcare provider. Somehow they have a connection to that person and they're involved in that person's world, their life, helping them to be, to to move forward or or to be as self-sufficient as they can. Mm -hmm. Um, That person knows the applicant and they can vouch for them and they know, hey, this vehicle is is going to have the intended effect. They bring the applicants to us. So yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of people ask, how do you choose? I'm like, well, it's made a lot easier by I, I only get people that an advocate would say, hey, we want to bring this person to you. So I like to think uh, on ramp. Ultimately, we get to serve the cream of the crop. Often we get to serve the people who schools and charities and, and uh, healthcare people around our community say, wow, this person, they're really they really want to move forward in life, but they need a vehicle. Let's bring them to on ramp. So that's yeah. the fun part is by the time we're meeting the applicant, they already have somebody in their life who vouches for them right. and who is involved with them. So that helps to some extent. I think the pushback I get more um, is, I mean, there's, certainly there's people who ask, how in the world can this be self-sustainable? And, you know, how can you give away cars? I, you know, that that's, that's easy to answer. That works fine. Um, we have a, a model that works. And, you know, I feel like we're getting these people who are doing so well. I think that when, when what people struggle with is, um, do you ever have anybody who it goes bad on? Yes, of course. Mm. This is ministry yeah. in a broken world. Yeah, we we have, despite the systems sure. that we have in place and the advocates that we work with, there are people who will take advantage of it. There are people who will not follow through on what they said they're going to use the vehicle for. There's people who will get themselves into a bad situation and the vehicle will be sold for cash or whatever it is mm-hmm. um, or wrecked or something. And when that happens, I think the, the I guess perhaps the response of a lot of Christians is to say, I can't believe that. That was a waste. Why did you give that person a car? How could they do that? And always my response with that is I'm sad that that happened. But I have to remind myself that that's the nature of how grace works. Grace gives things to people who are going to abuse it, just like you and I abuse grace every day. So grace yeah. is an abusable thing. Like God freely gives us his blessings, knowing full yeah. well that while we may be appreciative today, we may be total jerks tomorrow. And we're yeah. not always going to make the right decisions. And so I think for OnRamp, our, our first organizational value is grace. And so when somebody really pushes back, how can you give a car to that person? Or how how can you deal with the fact that this went wrong? Just remind them that uh, what, what we're about is showing the community the grace of God, that he gives freely, that he gives extravagantly, um, that he gives believing the best about the person, knowing full well that they may not fulfill all their obligations right. in the future. And it right. may be one that you look back on and say, that one didn't work out great, but that's okay. Because yeah. um, we do the best that we can, but ultimately we follow a God who is gracious to um, sinners and fools like we all are. Yes. So that's Gosh, usually how I answer it. Yeah. Isn't love always a gamble? 
I mean, (laughs) you know, I mean, yeah, right. I mean, you're, and I mean, God's the greatest gambler of all, you know, like I'm going to send my one and only son that you might reject. And guess what we did? You know, I think that there's a sense in maybe, maybe so much of like the Christian community and, and the community we live in, we live in a college town where there's this sense that through um, intelligence and good planning and good clean yeah. living, we're going to control the outcomes. And we're going to make mm-hmm. sure that charity is only going to the people who deserve it. And we're all growing and we're all sanctifying and all that kind of stuff. And if you look back at the Bible, that's like, not no, that's not how it works. God yeah. often chooses the unlikely. He often works yeah. through people who you never saw coming. And he often blesses people who he knew full well, we're going to uh, um, be unfaithful in the long run. And yet he's still, yeah, I, I think, by the nature of love and grace and charity, it is risky. And if there's yes. no risk, and if you try to program out all the risk, then you're losing that that aspect of grace. But you have to balance it with the fact that at the same time, God calls us to be wise. So that that whole, okay, I need right. to be wise, but also need to be gracious. How do I balance that? M- my take on that is you should always live in tension between those. Like if you sure. if you choose one over the other, like we're just wise programming, we're going to have a plan. No one outside this plan is ever going to be accepted. Or if you just, we're never going to think about anything. We're just going to give, 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 give with no, um, no evaluating, no impact data, none of the research. Uh, that's not good either. So we try to live in that balance. We uh, frequently have meetings as a team. Okay, so what went well and what didn't, and what can we learn from yeah. it? And that's that's great. But I, yeah, I think that's a big thing. Of I, it, it, I think it bothers bothers me. And this is this isn't a tangent, but it's it's taking a look. It does bother me when I feel like people who are, it's not just Christians, but they're in the position of donor. So they okay. are not just Christians, but for whatever circumstances in their life, they're also financially successful. So mm-hmm. they're thinking, you want me to give money to this person? You want me to give this asset to this person? Many have a great heart and great attitude to this. But sometimes you have somebody who's like, well, what what's happening here is there's somebody who's made bad decisions. They were bad Mm -hmm. and we Mm -hmm. want to give this gracious gift. So maybe they can be saved and they can get better and they can be more like us, you know, and I think there's that Mm -hmm. sense. Um, And what I, what my, my, the primary thing I try to get across is actually two thirds of the people we serve as best we can tell are already believers. And of those two thirds, I would guess half of those. So a third of the clients we serve are more mature than you or I. Like they, they're very godly (laughs) people with deep faith who have sacrificed more than we have ever sacrificed. Yes. And why they're in a position asking me for a vehicle is because life is hard and they didn't do something to deserve that. You know, they, they, that's what the Bible taught. Like so many times people face hardship because the world is broken, not because they made worse decisions than you did. So I think that's more the conversation that we have is helping people understand charity is not because you're the good person giving money to the person who was dumb and made bad decisions. And now they need to reform their life. Like yes. occasionally. Yeah. But so yes. often, no, they're, they're actually as mature, more mature than you or I, they just didn't have the resources we did. They didn't yes. have the circumstances we did. We didn't create the circumstances in our lives that lead to all this wealth. We, we did the best we could with what we had. Right. They did the best they could with what they had. And the right. reality is because we live in a broken world, they have great need. And so, right. you know, for me, that's, that's more the common thing is running people Actually, most of the folks we serve are believers, and this is not evangelistic charity. This is where the church is called so often in the New Testament. You care for people in the church above and beyond. When it's believers who lack the basic necessities of life, you sell what you have and you give it to them because that's what the church is meant to do. 
So yeah. just, I think that's a big re-education process is often people yeah. who are facing poverty. It's not because they're immature. It's because they've, they've faced circumstances and difficulties that we haven't. Yes. And our society is filled with so many groups that face oppression. And if that, if you don't believe that, then it's likely that your circle isn't wide enough. Um, and so oh, yeah. I just, I feel like there's this holy charge to get to know people that are nothing like you. Yes. And I love that, you know, that you have this advocate system, you know, like i I feel convicted. I need to get to know more people <laughs> who might need a car. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I, as you're talking, I'm just thinking about how we love certitudes because they make us, mm-hmm. you know, feel so comfortable when the truth is control and certainty are a myth every single time. Mm-hmm. I mean, every single time. We map out our lives how we would like them to go, and it hardly ever happens that way. So mm-hmm. it should be no surprise that there are surprises in <laughs> in your mm-hmm. work. Um, so how many cars has OnRamp given away so far? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, surprisingly enough, I know the clients. <laughs> so, well, the issue is we have a couple different programs. So we we have given cars, reliable cars, to uh, we did number 78. Uh, end of last week. So 78 so far client families. So that uh-huh. some of them are single, many are uh, have kids or are married. Um, some of those clients we've given multiple vehicles to because we do a two-step program where if often, and this won't be a surprise, often uh, particularly a woman will be brought to us who um, is fleeing an abuser, but she doesn't yet have legal protection. So mm-hmm. I can't give her a very valuable vehicle yet because that abuser theoretically could get it. So We'll do a two-step program where we'll give her a temporary vehicle, and then once she has legal protection, we'll, you know, we'll dispose of it and give her a long-term vehicle. So we've done that a few times. We also, a unique part of our model, we warranty and repair, do all the maintenance on every vehicle for 12 months, um, because the intention is wow. the vehicle's a great gift, but we want to give you a year where yeah. you're connected to us. So we're, we're wow. connecting with you every couple months, but also you can focus all your spare funds on savings. That's a big thing we measure is the growth of your family's savings account from when we meet to when the 12 months is done. So we want everything you would have spent for maintenance to go into that savings account. We'll, we'll foot that bill. Um, so usually that works really well, but on three or four occasions, the vehicle itself failed. And so we just completely replaced it. So we've done in the a mid to high 80s, I think, of total number of vehicles so far. But like wow. I, said, I don't really count vehicles. I just count the families. <laughs> um, so I I would love to know, as, as people are listening and growing convicted, how can we, I know that Brazos Valley Gives is coming up. Um, mm-hmm. What do you need and how can we support you? Yeah, that's a great question. So we always do need funds because giving vehicles away is capital intensive. So vehicles cost a good bit of money to purchase. Um, They've gone up. I think the latest figures are 21% over the last 12 months is the increase in price of the average vehicle in the United States. So uh, inflation is hitting vehicle prices greatly. So, so funds are definitely helpful um, both to purchase vehicles, but then also that 12 months that we do all the maintenance. We get yeah. great discounts. We have amazing automotive partners that help us in town, but you, it's not free. So it's reduced yeah. price, but there's still price. So um, donations help dramatically. Uh, almost all the money that comes in goes to either purchase vehicles or repair those vehicles for families in need. Um, I think then besides that, for folks that have a vehicle that still has life in it, that they want to donate, or maybe they're thinking of trading it in and would offer it to us at the trade-in price, so lower price, we'd love to talk about that. 
Um, all the all that stuff is on our, our homepage if you want to give financially or give uh, donate a vehicle. But just as big as that, I think we're always looking for people who want to volunteer um, that have kind of some unique skill sets. So you don't have to be both a pastor and automotive engineer, but we do have kind of specific <laughs> skill sets. Like we're always looking for um, faithful Christian social workers. Um, mm-hmm. That is oh my gosh, that's such a valuable asset to the Christian community. Christians who have also entered and become experts in the world of social work. So that could be an actual licensed social worker, or maybe somebody who was very involved with like an early Head Start program or a medical program where you're involved with people who are um, struggling with poverty. You have so much knowledge that most people don't about how families can be helped, how individuals can be helped through the system, um, you have an ability to assess needs that uh, I yeah. don't have because you know, yeah. hey, if you're saying this, it probably means this. You probably also need this or this. Your ch- children may need this. I don't right. know those things. It's such a yeah. specialized field. So we're always looking for believers who come out of a social work or working with the the, the poor background. Um, so we'd love to talk to you if you have that. If you happen to be a, a person who is into cars and wants to help us find cars and move them around town and detail them, prep them. That's always good. People who are just good at getting stories out. We, we are very blessed to have very good stories. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what it is about the gift of an automobile, but it tends to create a very powerful story about life before and after. So yeah. people yeah. who are skilled at telling stories in creative ways, that is always valuable. So um, I think volunteering would be amazing. So all that is on our website if you'd like to volunteer with us or you can contact me. And then I think that the other thing that I would say, um, this is more of like a soapboxing. So it's less helping us directly and more um, anyone who can be an advocate to the community, especially the Christian community about the needs that are out there broader than just automobiles, but just people in general, um, yes. Getting the word out is huge. I I was so shocked to learn. I always thought that Brazos County, which is where you and I live, so I knew you know there's there's certainly aspects of poverty around, but it seems like we're a wealthy academic community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's poverty, but it's mostly college students because they're poor. It wasn't until I looked into the data and the census that came out that said actually you remove all the college students, it's still 21 percent of our county is poor. 21% of the people who are not students who live in just Brazos County, just Bryan College Station around Texas A&M, that there's so much money here, qualify as impoverished by the federal standards. Yeah. That blew my mind. Um, and the reality is so many of us can go about our days from home to work, to store, to home again, to Kyle Field to see a game, to the store to get groceries and never see it. We, we never, right. We never see them. We never interact with them. And so it's so easy to go through our daily life unaware that one out of five of our fellow citizens just in this county, this little county, are impoverished right now. Right. And then if you take Texas as a whole, it's about the same number for kids. It's about 21% of Texas children are impoverished. So I think that's the other thing that I would say that's probably bigger than on-ramp, bigger than any particular needs that we have is just getting that word out there and helping people understand that poverty is a major issue. A whole lot of those folks who are poor are brothers and sisters in Christ who I think we're morally obligated to whether they go to our churches or not. Our churches are tend to be very segregated socioeconomically. So um, you either, you know, I think for most of us, we either go to a 
a rich church that has resources but doesn't have impoverished people or poor church that doesn't have resources that has lots of impoverished people and we never get together and we never share bread together we never live life together and so it's just so easy to go through life without any awareness of the incredible need that's out there and i would say that's the biggest thing that i think is needed right now is for more believers to speak up about that um, to get involved in it in some form yes. or fashion, find whatever your passion is, whatever your particular right. skill enables you to do and do something. There's just, yeah. there's so many unmet needs right, right now um, that no one's chasing and yeah. somebody needs to, somebody needs to get excited about how to create a viable alternative to predatory lending and go create mm-hmm. it and chase it. Somebody yes. needs to figure out how do we create a viable childcare program that people can afford who are impoverished go chase yep. that. Like, you know, I think if belie- if more believers would get excited to chase after some problem that resonates with their heart and figure out creative ways to solve it, we could change this county. Yeah. Really we look way. to, to Jesus to know how to organize our lives. We look to Jesus mm-hmm. to know how to live our lives. And, and we can see that he loves everyone to the point of dying for them, but in mm-hmm. his ministry, he really went out of his way to help very specific yes. groups of people. And it's, it was the poor. Um, thank you so much, Blake, for bringing a little bit of his kingdom here on earth. I'm so grateful to know you. I'm so excited to yell about on ramp, um, (laughs) with you. I'm inspired by your work. I'm so grateful for your example of, of how you're living life and making our community better. Will you tell everyone the, the website, the actual website, and if you have anything on social media, how to follow you, how to give? Yes. So everything is on ramp TX. OnRamp Texas. So just O-N-R-A-M-P-T-X. Our website is onramptx.org. And then our social media handles are all onramptx. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, that's what they all are. So we post uh, stories frequently there. So if you'd like to, the nice thing on, on both the website and social media, even if you just, all you want to do is just know more about what's going on, we try when we tell the story to give um, to, to whatever extent the client gives us permission to share their story. We will share details about it that will help you understand what the um, what, what those who are struggling financially, what they really face in day to day life. So mm-hmm. I would definitely recommend familiarizing yourself with the stories just so you better understand the people that you're that are your neighbors, whether you see them or not on a daily basis. Right. Right. Thank you so much, Blake. So, Thank you, so yeah. cheering for you always. Love it. Well. Thank you for the time. This is fun. You bet. Santa Clara Design Boutique provides accessible and affordable ways to create beautiful, sacred spaces in your everyday. Creating spaces that reflect what is true and good and beautiful is near and dear to owner and lead designer Lauren Gouldy's heart. Visit Santa Clara Design online at santaclaradesign.com to find a wide variety of Catholic art, prints, canvases, stickers, printables, tees, mugs, totes, and more. Center Saint Sister listeners get 10% off of their print and sticker orders with code Center Saint Sister. Sometimes on a really hectic day, I'll head over to at Santa Clara Design on Instagram to scroll and just take in all of the piece. Head over there on Instagram at Facebook at Santa Clara Design to join their email list. Hi, Beefy! We're back! We're back! Did you know we'd be back? <laughs> I don't know. Did you know we'd be back? <laughs> I mean, one of my favorite parts about being your beef is that you could tell me that you're moving to New Zealand or joining the circus and I'd just <gasps> slow nod and then eventually get on board. <laughs> Full of surprises. 
such a faithful friend, Beefy. I love that about you. You're always so encouraging. It's like you, it's true. You might give me a slow nod, but you're always curious about how I came to said crazy decision. Um, I was, um, this doesn't necessarily surprise me, um, but I am surprised that we are as fancy as we are. So that's fun. Yeah. 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 I'm glad we're back. Um, I was listening to some of our segments from before and I fell in love with us so much. I was like, oh my gosh, I want to be their friend. So thanks for being on. I love your perspectives. This is going to be great. Thanks, Beefy, even though it makes me sweat a little bit. I find it highly ironic that for a living, I stand up and speak publicly and answer hard questions spontaneously, but this is what will like have me like sweating through my shirt right now. I think it's talking about matters of the heart is a lot more complicated. Than the law. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're such a good lawyer and beefy co-host. Um, okay. So since we have some new listeners, we do need to take a second to explain beefy because we only call each other beefy. And I imagine that that's confusing. If you were to call me Allison, I would um, feel really upset by that. I would feel like you hit me in the face. Uh-huh. It's jarring. I My kids even are a little confused when I call you anything like, who's Allison? Right. Um, okay. So when we were in the third grade, we had the James Avery heart necklace that's split in half. So the words best friend are split in half. Right. And so I had beef fry and you had St. End or street end or same, 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 same. Yeah. St. Francis might differ, beg to differ, but street St. What have you. Yeah. But so beef fry got shortened to beef, which then affectionately became beefy, beefinator, what have you. So, um, which is extra funny since I'm a vegetarian. Oh, right, right, right. And it can be a noun or an adjective or a verb. It can take all sorts of forms. I feel like too much too soon is off putting. We have to save something for the people. Oh, okay. Yes, true. Okay. We can use them in to beefy. Okay. So anyways, okay. Did you love Blake? Did you love on-ramp? Oh my gosh. I loved him. I mean, so the world's falling apart, right? And there's just so much to be upset about. And I feel like my biggest disappointment with just people right now is Mm -hmm. this oversimplification of complex problem. I feel like I'm seeing it all over the place. Mm. Um, I don't think people mean to be jerks or not everyone is a jerk but it's like Mm -hmm. all these big problems require so much of us and we're not willing to do that so they either paralyze us like it's too big to address it at all or we oversimplify them so that they seem more manageable or to make them someone else's problem um and I feel like Blake just has a gift for looking a complex problem in the face not being overwhelmed by it getting to know it and the people that it affects really really well yeah that's really Um, good and then and then using his gifts to fix it without like oversimplifying so oversimplifying it or minimizing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so what would be the oversimplification here? Like if if humanity can be a little distressing right now, like what is the oversimplified human response? No, that's a good question. I don't know. I'd say, you know, they say people that are struggling or lazy because it's a simpler mm. explanation mm-hmm. than looking at the broken systems and trying to find a place to step in and roll up your sleeves, right? Yeah. So, okay. So I'm watching this show right now on Netflix. It's called Maids and I highly recommend it. Actually not to you, Beef. (laughs) Sorry. I love you, but you, well, you're dealing with a lot in your um, regular life just through fostering journey and you do not need this kind of like entertainment. It's it's just very dramatic, but um, but what I love, yeah, what I love about the show is that it does this really good 
job about showing how living below the poverty line is so stinking precarious. It's like one tiny misfortune just completely compounds Mm -hmm. another, and then you don't have any money to absorb any setback. And so this main character It's just so enlightening because she's never not aware of exactly how much money she has to the penny. In fact, they somehow artfully do this, but they show a little ticker in the screen of, oh, she had to fill up with gas. That's, you know, there's another, you know, $8 off or or whatever. And so um, I feel like that there are so many people, you know, you're talking about people who are oversimplifying this and maybe calling people lazy or whatever. And so I, I think that those are people who either don't remember well enough what it's like to be in that predicament or have never been in that predicament. And, and they're taking support systems for granted. You know, they're taking um, the mm-hmm. fact that There's- they have a kind neighbor or a reliable mom or, um, oh, oh, the whole reason I brought this up is because her one saving grace was that she had a car. Her transportation was like this this huge um, problem solver in so many areas. And then there's this part of the show where that gets taken away from her. And it is devastating. And so anyways, I just all of all of these things were, were making me think of all that. And I think you're right. I think people can either not remember or have never experienced it and oversimplify. Yeah, there was one part during the interview with Blake where you said something like, the world's inclined to think that like this person shouldn't have what I have until they become like me. Um, and I just oh, wanted mm-hmm. to like put that on a billboard because I just mm. realized like everything in the world that makes me want to move to New Zealand right now is smugness. There's just so much smugness. Oh, smug. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Smug. I, um, I feel like smugness or is it haughty? I don't know. I mean, there's probably a lot of synonyms that we could go to, but it's just not the poverty of spirit that, that we're called Mm -hmm. to. Father Gregory Boyle is one of my role models. And he says that the principal suffering of the poor is not, um, that they can't pay a bill or or it's, but it's shame. It's like this global failure, um, of the, of the whole self. And so people that aren't sympathizing with that and the, and the smugness of even criticizing it or holy moly laughing at it you know it's just not the poverty of spirit we're called to i was gonna say you showed me a couple of screenshots lately of some conversations that you were in where you were advocating for people who were struggling um oh and i mean after having after having some very unholy feelings and wanting to you know punch some faces i sat (laughs) down and um and prayed for them i mean i'm i'm truly not saying that in a haughty way but i was like i just need to pray for all of us yeah that's so nice, Beef. I love that you're always in my corner. You always have my side. I'm just so, I'm so grateful. <laughs> um, you are the absolute beefiest. <gasps> See? Adjective. There it is. There's the <laughs> adjective. <laughs> we eased them in. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Beef. Love you so much. Love you, Beef. Pink Salt Riot exists to empower women to radically stand in the truth of what God says about them, that they are beloved and that they are worthy exactly as they are. I know that it's important to me to shed a veneer of performance, to be able to show up authentically as I am and to live into the mission that God has exactly for me. And all of Pink Salt Riot products are created to be reminders of that and to anchor our daily lives right back to it. Pink Salt Riot creates jewelry and greeting cards and lifestyle goods and gifts that anyone who loves Jesus would love. Follow them at Pink Salt Riot on Instagram and find them at PinkSaltRiot.com. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you enjoyed our time together. I know that I did. In order to spend more time together, you can hit subscribe and follow along wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow along on YouTube at youtube.com slash Allison Sullivan to follow along on social media at Allison M. Sully on Instagram. And then just for a little fun, Sullivan family TikTok. All right, guys. See you next time. Have a happy week. Today's show was a production of Allison Sullivan in conjunction with the Forte Catholic Podcast Network. For more great Catholic podcasts, head on over to ForteCatholic.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.